The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. These are the Googe men. I am very excited to announce to you, or introduce to you, this is Henry Googe. He loves being up here, and we're proud of him for doing it. And this is Miles Googe. He's just happy to be hanging. It's good to see you, buddy. And this is Dr. David Googe. Dr. Googe is a good friend of mine, and he is an orthopedic surgeon. And uh, he, is come, he is a pastor of this church, which pastor and elder in this church are synonymous terms. Uh, we use the term staff to refer to anyone who is paid by the church. So I am a staff pastor. He is a lay pastor. Uh, earlier in the first service, I called David Granger doctor, and he said, well, that was easy. Uh, I didn't mean to give him doctor that easily. He's going to have to work harder to become a doctor. But uh, David Granger is a staff pastor as well. Bob Nida is a lay pastor. And uh, David Ham Jr., who usually sits right there, is a lay pastor as well. So our pastor is sharing with us today from God's Word. Uh, we asked him to do this during this uh, series, and uh, I think that's all I had to say. In the first service, he wanted to make it real clear that the bar was way down here. He's being a little more quiet in the second. He feels confident now, I guess. You ready to roll? No, I said I'm not a teaching, I'm not a preacher, so that was, <laughs> I wanted to clear that up. He wanted to clear it up real so that he could easily step over that bar and succeed. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, thank you guys for doing this. I will hand you it in this time. Uh, Henry, you ready for this? All right. I'll be reading from Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. All right, so we just brought Miles up here because he's cute, so he's not actually going to read anything yet. Um, so everybody, welcome this morning. Uh, this is not typically how we do things at Norse Ferry, um, so we have a lot of guests in the house. The one thing that I do when I'm nervous is I ask for backup. So, you know, I have some special friends here this morning that are guys that I turn to. Uh, Grady Wilson and Jimmy Graves there in the middle. Um, whenever I'm struggling with something, those are the guys I lean on. Um, there's a very special guy in my life, uh, Devontae Hall on the front row, that um, is a close close friend of mine. And then I have a brother back there in the middle row uh, and a confidant, um, Maurice Green and uh, Pete. They're back there. So I have a lot of friends this morning that are kind of, um, if you don't recognize their faces, please say hello to them. Uh, they're they're um, just special guys in my life that I invited this morning. So um, typically um, at Norse Ferry, we do expository preaching, which means we take a book of the Bible. We start in chapter one, verse one, and we go all the way through um, We're I think that's a really cool way and a, and a really appropriate way to uh, approach the scripture because it allows the, the scripture to really dictate the itinerary um, instead of saying, OK, the the. Here's what I want to talk about. Here are a couple of verses that sound sort of like that. And so let's use those and let me give you a sermon about what I think. Um, so I want to be real clear this morning. This is not, I, this is not about what I think. Uh, my, my prayer for our time together is that God will just use me to, to do whatever he wants and, and do whatever his purposes are in your life. Because um, we're going to talk about some stuff that's pretty funny. Um, and we're going to talk about some stuff that's pretty sad. Um, so I just, I just want to kind of clear that up before we get started. Um, the series here that we're doing is called gospel living. Um, and it's, um, it's a topical series that we're doing to give Tracy a few weeks off. You know, I had lunch with Tracy and he said, the nice thing about not having to preach every week is you still have to work on your research paper. It's just not due every Sunday. Um, so I think that's good. And hopefully this time will be a little bit of a blessing for him. Um, the uh, Bob Nida talked to us the first week about giving, um, and I thought um, I haven't actually heard that sermon, but I've heard it was great. Um, last week, uh, Kevin Kevin was sitting there last week I'm, or last hour. I'm not sure where he is now, but um, our newest staff member, Kevin Wilsey, talked about um, forgiveness. 
um, and taming the tongue and what that looks like. Um, and today we're going to uh, talk about adoption. So I have um, essentially two goals for our time together. Um, the first is I want each one of us to really consider the wonder of our adoption by God through Christ. Um, that, that's the main point. Um, and, and then this, the second point is, as adopted children of Christ, how should that impact our actions? How should that, how should that make us do things differently? How should that allow us to be strangers in this life and be okay with that? Um, so I think first, really my only credentials for being up here, I guess I brought Miles, he's my credentials, but um, th- that's my only credential for being up here. So a little bit about the story, his story, um, it starts 20 years ago um, when Jennifer was just my girlfriend uh, and we were just at a fair um, and we were um, on Baylor's campus at Dia Deloso, and, uh, which is like a fair that the, that the school puts on and um, they have like bounce houses and little Ferris wheels and stuff like that. And the fair had concluded and the kids from the surrounding neighborhood were coming over and taking advantage of the equipment um, before it was put up. Um, and so I was talking to a friend and I, I looked across like one of those big tents and I saw her um, with a little boy sitting in her lap and they were working on a craft. Um, and it just, God just kind of prompted me in that time. He, I didn't hear any voices. I didn't see any um, you know, I didn't have any crazy signs or anything like that. I just kind of felt this urging, like that that's that's part of your plan. Um, and I was and, and so what's cool about the term adoption is you can carry it around your whole life and it gives you credit with people. You know, you don't you can say, Well, I were thinking about adopting, you know, and people are like, Oh man, that's noble, you know that these are really must be really great people if you're thinking about that. Um, and we but we never actually did anything, did anything about it. And we had five kids and are raising four. And honestly, the, the desire in my heart just kind of, um, it just kind of dwindled. I, I, didn't, I didn't have it nearly as much. Um, and, and, I, and I didn't think of it. Um, and then my sister-in-law, um, who they live in Texas, um, and they did, they did something called privatized fostering, which they have in Texas. And this makes me always think when I encounter Texas. The problem with Texas is everybody from Texas thinks that everything is bigger and better in Texas. So, and the, the, what makes it even worse is they're right. So the, the, so, but they have this thing called privatized fostering and they, they, um, they adopted this child's my nephew, Jack, um, and his birth mother got pregnant. And so, you know, I was turning 40 and Jennifer and I were like, look, if we're gonna if we're gonna do this, if we're gonna adopt another child, Tashi's so cute. Um, the, if we're gonna adopt another child, then we need to do something about it. You know, uh, fifty eight years old and chasing kids around still in the house is is gonna be daunting. Um, which is something that actually I uh, ran by my guys up there on the third row. You know, is, can I do this? Can I do this? And Grace said, Sure, you can do this. I can still beat Cotter at tennis, so it's not a problem. Um, so. We went through that, and um, and it was it just was an amazing experience how God just put things in place. You know, if you've ever been involved in something that God's in, like all the doors and the stuff that you think well, that can't happen. I mean, our, we we encountered the or we were thinking about the adoption process one other time. We called to do all the the home studies and the stuff that you have to do, and it was like, well, you can do this in four months, and you can do this and Three months, and I thought, okay. So when I agreed to all that, I kind of had that timeline in my mind. Um, and then when Jennifer got off the phone with everybody, she was like, "Yeah, they can come Thursday." I was like, "Thursday? You mean Thursday? Yeah, Thursday." And then this can happen on the following Tuesday. And so it just like all started happening so so fast, and um, it just was amazing. And I thought. Many times over, God, are you sure this is what you want for us? And it, but it was happening so fast, it really gave me assurance about what was going on. Um, and so the, um, my nephew's birth mother decided not to give, his child, give her child up for adoption. And so Jennifer and I got together, and we debate a little bit on the timeline here. But the, um, we got together, and we just said, look, 
we can't adopt a kid. We have four kids. Who adopts a kid when you have four kids? That's weird. Um, and and we, we can't do that. And, and her exact words to me were, we should not adopt a child unless God just drops one in our lap. And I was like, yeah. And so the next day, the next day we went out, you know, we hang out at Cargill. I should have built my home out there. We live at Cargill on the weekends. Um, the girls were playing soccer. Um, and my phone started ringing and it was from New Orleans. And so I picked up the phone and, um, and this, and she's, this lady introduces herself. She says, look, I'm from New Orleans. Um, and I'm an adoption attorney. Um, and I've, and, and none of our credentialing was even complete. Okay. You have to like do all this stuff. And none of that stuff was even complete. And she was like, and we have this mother who is coming from new, um, from North Carolina and she needs to be matched with a family. And I was just like, this, this is crazy. I mean, I, I, I can't even believe this. And so anyway, God just kind of, he matched us with her. She's an amazing woman, amazing bravery, um, uh, to, to not, to not listen to all her family and, 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 and get rid of the child, but to, but to be brave enough to do all that's required to have a child and put it up for adoption. Um, and so that was unbelievable. Um, and so we were like all in, right. And, and we were ready. Um, and, and then all the doubt started creeping in my mind, you know, like, uh, what I encountered that was giving me pause was, I was like, wait a second. He's going to be black and I'm white. And how's that going to work? Um, and so I had like this, this fear of, you know, not being adequate to, to be able to provide him the things that he's going to need and not be able to be sensitive to his needs. And I, and I started stacking kind of all of these excuses about how, why this isn't going to work. This can't work. This can't work. Um, and then, um, uh, Devante was at our house over the holidays, um, and they were playing hide and seek, uh, in the backyard. And, um, I don't know why, but for some reason, Grace always ends up being it. Um, that's my youngest. And so Grace is it. Um, and she's, so I go out there to check on them and I, and I and see Grace and she's crying and I'm like, Grace, what's the matter? And she says, well, I can't, I'm trying to get Devante, but it's not fair, daddy. He, it's dark outside and he's black and I can't see him. <laughs> And so as I'm looking at her, you know, Devante is in the bushes behind her and, and all of us just start laughing and I realize, okay, this is so stupid. Why God is so much bigger than this. Um, and so it's amazing how, you know, if you'll just enter a situation with your hands open, how can I do this instead of stacking up stuff about why you can't. Um, how God can use you. Um, and so um, that's, that's our adoption story. Um, but that's, that's just the intro. You know, what we're, what we're really here to talk about and focus on today is not Miles, not us, but what is God's plan and what, does, what is God saying to us? The scripture um, that Henry, Henry read was from Romans 8, and that's what we're going to be using. So couple of things first, you know, this, this, um, the title of this sermon series, gospel living, um, the, the, the term gospel is thrown around a lot in the Baptist church. And for those of us, including myself who didn't grow up Baptist, it's sometimes you don't, we don't know exactly what that means. Um, gospel literally translated from the Greek means good news. Um, and so the good news is that's a fine translation, but the logical next question is, well, the good news of what? Um, and there's, it, there are many different passages in the Bible, but if you're writing stuff down, um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 explains to this the good news. I'm going to paraphrase it. But essentially, what God has done is He has sent Jesus. And if we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then Jesus' righteousness is imputed into us. And so that when God looks down on us, He doesn't see us and all our faults, and all our problems, and all the stuff that we've done wrong, he sees Christ. Um, and so that's, the, that's what the term gospel means. It is good news. The reality of that is humbling, and the humbling in two ways. I see all my um, kids from youth in here now. So the, 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 
it's the reality of it is humbling for those of us who've accepted Christ because it gives us that access to God and that access to the eternal kingdom being with God. But also the flip side of that, the reality is it doesn't say it's for everyone. You know, the, 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 um, the love wins, the, 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 uh, Rob Bell, you know, that whole movement of, you know, Christ died for everybody and, and, and we're all saved. That's a, that's a great thing to meditate on. The, the problem is that's not what the Bible says. And so, so it's kind of humbling in, in both respects. Um, so where we are here is in the book of uh, Romans, which is the second half of the Bible. It's in the New Testament. Um, it's after it's written by Paul, um, who wrote a bunch of the letter, or a bunch of the books that are letters um, in the New Testament. Um, this is all after uh, Christ's death, uh, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Um, when he's writing this, and he's writing it. Um, to the Christian church in Rome. Um, and so they're, they're struggling, you know, because they've got the Jews who are kind of the, the churchgoers, and, and they're thinking they got it all worked out, and, and they're trying to kind of mesh with uh, the Gentiles who are believers in Christ. And so how it, there, there's, there's tension there. And so um, in the first half of the book of Romans, it's... Um, it's very humbling to read, you know, chapters three, four, and five. When you read those, they're uh, they're kind of a Debbie Downer, really. You know, the the and the first um, Paul says, "Look, all the people that are reveling in their sin, you know, all, all those people, there's nothing they're doing that's that's glorifying God." And so, you know, us as Christians, we say, "Yeah, that's right." You know, shame on them. Um, and then God kind of moves, or Paul kind of moves a step closer, and he says, "Look, the moralist, you know, the person who says, look, I may not be that great, but I'm better than that guy. Um, you know, there's nothing they're doing that's earning any favor with God. And so, you know, as as the people at, you know, in Shreveport, Louisiana, where 99 percent of us claim to be Christian, the the that's not a, um, I'm not saying that facetiously. Literally, that was that was a." Um, a study, a telephone telephone interview study that was done. Shreveport, Louisiana, was the was the was it number one? Number one, number one um, in the country as far as people claiming to be Christian. Now we're gonna we're gonna claim we're gonna take in Bozier in that. You know, I'm sure that I'm sure they I'm sure we're, we're gonna say Shreveport Bozier. Um, but that's that's uh, so he's talking um, uh, to us. You know, in this in the in the set in the last passage when he says. Look, and for all of you people that are hyper-religious or that go to church all the time or think that you're doing something like adopting a child or putting some money in a collection plate or giving a sermon, you know, none of that makes any difference either. And so that's a hard thing for for us to, or for me, um, to take, you know, because I think, wait a second now. I've We're doing all this stuff. We're trying to glorify God and all the things that, that we're doing, but... Paul's real clear, okay? He's real clear, and he tells us, look, nothing that we're doing is making any difference. Um, and so that's basically, in the first half of the book, he sets the stage for the need for Christ um, and, and takes it out of our own hands. Um, and that's concerning in some ways because you feel like, well, I don't have any control. Um, but it's liberating in some ways because you think, well, the result doesn't depend on me. Um, and that's sometimes that's kind of counterintuitive, you know, because we feel like, you know, in, in our daily life, if we weren't there, nothing could go on. Um, but that that's not true. And then we get to Romans eight um, and and we and, and it sets the stage for Romans eight one, which says, therefore, there is no condemnation in those that are in Christ Jesus. And that's a biblical truth right there. Then in and of itself, that's enough. Um what that's telling us is that if Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, that's it. Um, and, and, that's, and, and that's such a breath of fresh air in the context of this book. Um, but, and, and it's a breath of fresh air in, in our life. Um, but it's, sometimes its simplicity makes it hard to accept. You know? and, and that's, if you, if you read the first part of um, chapter 8, that's where Paul goes next. You know, he's, he describes this, 
this wrestling match uh, between the spirit and the flesh and kind of the back and forth of that. You know, for us, that wrestling match looked like uh, the, the things of the flesh were, we can't do this. We're turning 40. We already have four kids. This is crazy. We, this doesn't make any sense. We can have our own kids, you know, our own kids, our real kids, you know, like somehow they're more real than, than an adopted child. Like, like just looking up here, I brought him up here for the illustration. Like, like Henry is more real than Miles. Henry may look more like me, but I don't love him any less. I mean, Miles is just as much my son as Henry. And, and that's, that's the truth here that, that is amazing. Um, and so, um, as we approach, as we kind of get to this part where Paul is wrestling back and forth, that's, that's what he's describing is, you know, the, the things of the flesh versus the things of the spirit. Um, and finally that leads us, um, to where we are this, this morning, um, which is Romans eight fourteen, Uh, and, and it starts with, for all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Um, so notice, um, it's true on the screen too, but it's, it's true in, in uh, the NIV and the NASB. The, the, the word spirit is capitalized. So this is not like the human spirit. You know, this is not pull our, how we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and go forward and accomplish things A, B, and C. That's not what this is referring to. When it says for all who are being led by the spirit, what it means is the Holy Spirit. So um, the Holy Spirit is always a little bit intimidating to talk about. You know, for some reason, Jesus and God seem a little bit more concrete. And the Holy Spirit is like, wait a second, what, what, are, you, what are we talking about? The, 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 the Bible's real clear. You know, if you want to jot down a verse, Acts 2.2, super, super clear on this topic. You know, when after Jesus died and he was resurrected... Um, he came back and, and appeared to people all over the place. You know, Thomas the doubter, the, that showed putting his fingers in his hands. The whole thing, if you've ever, if you're looking for a book for kids, you know, The Case for Christ is a great book on that topic. But after that, you know, he ascended into heaven. And when he did that, he gave us the Holy Spirit as a gift um, to indwell in our hearts and affect us. Now, the thing about the Holy Spirit is it has an agenda. Um, and, and the Holy Spirit's agenda is to increase our relationship with, with the Lord. That's His agenda. That's why we're here. I mean, there's no other reason to get up on Sunday, Sunday morning. It reminds me of something Tracy said, you know, I don't know why anybody would be a member of a church. All it does is take your time and take your money. So, the, But truly, it's the Holy Spirit's prompting that that gets us here and because we want to... Um, the Holy Spirit has this agenda. It wants to cultivate our relationship with, with God. And so um, when, it, when Paul addresses us and he says, for all being led by the Spirit of God, if you characterize yourself as a Christian, if I ask for a show of hands of who characterizes their self as a Christian, then these verses are addressed to you. They're not just to the Roman church in, um, uh, you know, back in you know, 50, uh, 50 AD there to us. Um, and so, uh, that, that truth I think is hugely important because what I want to do here is, is I want to talk about how important adoption is and where it fits in into God's plan. But, but what I also want to be clear on is let's look at what Paul has to say and let's take what he's trying to get across and, and bring that out of the text. And so I think that's important. The second half um, of that verse is, these are sons of God. So sons is actually, a, it's a, they, they derive that from the Greek term, which is actually gender neutral in the Greek. So it means sons or daughters. So don't, don't think that you're being discriminated against if you're a girl. That means sons or daughters. So the, what that's saying there is that we're sons of God. Now, that's, a, that's, that's something we don't want to skip over lightly. Your son or your daughter, that's different. You know, that's different than everybody else. The way you look at your child, if you have one, um, is, is different. Uh, because they, you can get so mad at them uh, and you love them. They can do 
terrible things and disappoint you and you love them. There's not, I'm, I'm convicted by it. I didn't ask her permission, so I won't use any names. But um, Somebody who's been in our community group several times has a very difficult relationship with her daughter um, that, that's been difficult for years and years. Um, but she loves her. Um, and when she talks about her, you can, you can just see it in her face. The way we love our kids is it's different. And so that's what, um, that's what I want us to be touched by, that that's how God looks at us. God, and, and even in a, with a supernatural component, God looks at us and he loves us because we're his sons um, and his daughters. And so that's a humbling, that's a humbling biblical truth that's apparent in the first verse. And, and the, the reality of that makes it, should, should make us do radical things. You know, that's why people act crazy at Little League games. You know, because they're not me, not me, Mo and Pete. I'm talking about other people. Uh, the, because that's their child out there. And everything that has to do with your child, it's like talking through a megaphone. You know, and so that's why. But realize that what Paul is saying here is that God loves you like you're his child because you are his child. Um, and we're going to look at how you became his child in just a minute. So as we, as we move on to Romans eight fifteen, it says, uh, For you do not receive a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. So... There's kind of two types of leadership, you know, and there's the leadership that's kind of the affirmation version where people try to be encouraging to you and and they try to um, uh, scoot you along in the right way or in in the way that and what we're trying to get accomplished. And then there's kind of the 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 screaming and yelling, do this or else version, Um, you know, and, and standing up here behind a podium like I'm some type of preacher is kind of humbling. But the the. The the idea that someone's going to stand up here and scream and yell, you know, don't drink, don't do drugs, don't do this, don't do that. You know, that's that's not that's not representative of what Paul's teaching. That's not the gospel. That's not what it's not a list of rules. And that's what this is saying. You know, we've not received a spirit of of slavery leading to fear again. You know, I thought it was interesting. I was studying some different uh, pastors on the topic of adoption, and one of the one of the pastors that I listened to was Tracy when he um, addressed our congregation um, at Norse Ferry and asked the rhetorical question when he went over a, a bigger block of verses. But he asked the rhetorical question: Okay, what do you guys think the fear of wrath produces? Um, so, so these aren't these aren't his words. These are our words. You know, we were sitting out there. It's interesting to listen um, to a sermon online and hear people talking because you think, wait, I recognize that voice. I think I know who said that. Um, but these are the things that 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 fear will um, that we said fear will produce in us. First is doubt. Um, Coach Williams was here for the first service, and, and so. Uh, I'm talking to Devonte. You, you guys, you can testify to this. You know, if you're if you're constantly just beating someone down, trying to make them follow a set of rules, they're not going to be effective. You know, in in the first service, I used the analogy of a shooter. You know, if you're constantly saying you're not taking the right shot, don't take that shot. You know, wait until this part of the game before you take a shot. There, well, that that. Shooters are going to lose their confidence. You know, all of a sudden they're going to feel like, well, well, I can't shoot. They don't, they don't want me to shoot. I, I can't score. I'm frustrated. I'm not having any fun. This, this isn't what I thought it would be. Ever known anybody like that? Uh, so the, the, it's the same thing. The same is true of the gospel here. You know, if we, if we interpret it as all this book is is a list of rules that we're never going to be able to follow anyway, it's going to produce doubt in our mind. Um, the second thing we said was it's going to produce resentment. And you see this a lot um, in the adolescent and our culture, right? You know, when you have little kids, you can tell them what to do, and for the most part, they'll do it. Um, but as they get older, um, we talked about this yesterday morning at the tennis court. You know, as, 
as they get older, they're like, look, I'm, I'm done with that. Talk to the hand. Um, and and that's, that's what happens in us. If, we try, if we're just getting beat down by some rule week in and week out, it doesn't produce fruits of the Spirit. All it produces is resentment. Like, look, I'm over that. I'm done with that. Been there, done that. Wow. Um, and we see that a lot in the adolescent um, uh, because, and, and that, but, but that can be extrapolated into our lives for sure. Uh, the third thing we said is a lack of security. You don't feel love when someone's just beating you down. You know, you may do it because you're scared, but after a while you get less scared. Um, and then when you're less scared, you do it anyway. So then it just becomes a beat down for no reason. You know, I tell my kids all the time, look, I, I fully anticipate y'all being able to outsmart me. I'm not, I don't tell you to do something because I think it. Who cares what I think? Let's look at the Bible and look and, and see what God thinks because we can't outsmart God. And so um, I, I think it, that's, one, that's another thing fear produces. Um, and then low self-esteem. Um, you know, the concept of depression is, is real. Um, and so we don't want to, we want to fight against that and, and trying to either interpreting ourselves as this is God's telling me to do this. I got to do that. I do that. I got to do this. I got to do that. I, I lived up to it this day. I didn't that day. You, you know, when you're on that roller coaster ride, you, you end up depressed because you can never live up. You can never do enough. You might do enough one day, but you can't do enough every day. Um, and I, I encountered my uh, 13-year-old nephew over the, over the uh, we went to Colorado for a week. Um, and he used that term, you know, Uncle David, I was depressed. And I thought, wow, it takes such courage to say that. Um, but I, I think that's something that we have to guard against. And if we don't understand the gospel correctly, we're, we're, we're either doomed for arrogance or depression, one or the other. And so it's, a, it's hugely important. And then the last thing we said as a congregation, the last answer was um, overachievement to find praise. You know, that, that's, that's where I'd fit in. You know, if, if when I feel beat down, I feel like someone's just, you know, trying to uh, strangle me to make me, to, to make me uh, and, and I'm trying to earn their praise, then I want to I wanna do, I want to work harder. I want to win. I want to... Um, get in the junior U.S. Open. I want to do something that's going to bring me praise. Um, at, but that, that's no way to live because you can never live up. Um, and so I think that's a huge biblical truth when he says, for you've not received a spirit of slavery. What he's saying is, you're God's son. If you're in Christ, you're God's son. God doesn't love you because of what you did. He loves you in spite of what you did. Um, and and just kind of letting that hit us and impact us that that's that is a huge biblical truth. Um, so let's uh, we'll move on to uh, verse sixteen um, or the second half of fifteen where it says, "But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father." Um, the, that's a popular verse to quote because Abba Father literally has the endearing term daddy. You know, the um the I have three little girls. And when they want something, they're the way they call on me is different. You know, they I, the first thing they do is they drop below parallel, you know, they and then after they do that, then they have, you know, special names for me and ways that they grab my hand and stuff to to get across what they want but they have that they have that relationship with me where they can look at me and say daddy and that's the relationship that we want to have when we look at Christ you know we want to be able to look at Christ and say daddy you know there's an intimacy there that that's that's not apparent and 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 when just when you're given a very formal prayer you know it's not it's not present there you know it makes me I told the story in the first service, you know, to kind of um, contrast the two. You know, sometimes as a parent, if you've been a parent or you are a parent, you get super mad, okay, super, super mad. And no comments back there, but it's very rare for me to yell, okay? So maybe at a basketball game is one thing, but in the rest of my life, it's very uncommon for me to yell. 
And so I, at one point, I got so mad at Maggie. And she was only, she was either, was she two, three, little. Um, I was so mad. And I yelled at her at the top of my lungs. I mean, with my finger in her face. Um, so much so that Henry started crying. Jennifer was, you know, on edge. You know, and, and at the conclusion of that, um, I thought, I've crossed the line. You know, I, I'm, I'm that guy that you see on TV. I, I've, I'm, I've crossed the line. I've hurt her. I've damaged her spirit. You know, she's, she's never going to be the same, you know. And, and I, so I have all these, like, emotions, but I'm mad. And, and I'm looking down at her. And, you know, she's a little bitty thing, littler than she is now. And she looks up to me, and she, she's got this quizzical look on her face. And she says, Daddy? Did you get your haircut? <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and so that's the, that's the kind of love that God gives us. That's the kind of love that we have access to so that despite what we do or despite what we don't do, that we can be so comfortable with God that we can look at Him like Maggie looked at me. And so that, that's, a, that's, a huge, that's a huge thing because... Assurance is a real theme of this text. And so what I don't want to do is uh, push forward some agenda about adoption and try to make a bunch of people feel guilty about giving money for adoption. We're we're not passing any collection plates. You don't have to worry about that. Uh, But that's not what I want to do. What I want to do is help us look into the text and see what is... is Paul trying to trying to tell us, and one of the real core uh, themes in this text is assurance. You know this concept that God loves us, that we're His son. You know, just like just like Miles and Henry. You know, you know Miles is my son. He's no less my son than Henry. Um, You know, he may look a little different. He may, um, you know, he may be a little more muscular than Henry. Uh, but he's my son, you know, no different. And so the, the realization that I look at him like that, we should be impacted by that because what this, what Paul is telling us in this scripture is just as God looks at Christ, he looks at us. Um, and so that's, that's huge. And then, then he, he, kind of polishes this off. I'm just going to use the, you know, 17a or the first half of 17 when he says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. If children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. So what, what he's saying there is that we are going to inherit the kingdom of heaven just as Christ is going to, inherit the kingdom of heaven. And, and that seems, that seems crazy, uh, honestly. Um, but it doesn't really matter what we think. It matters what God thinks. And that's what the Bible says. And that's very clear. Um, the, 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 it's, but it really, if you extrapolate that into our life, it's, it's not that much different. You know, if Jennifer and I got killed in a car wreck, it's not like, they are, we're going to give um, Henry and Maggie and Sarah and Grace some different amount of whatever our, whatever junk we have and not give give the same amount to Miles. I mean, it's 20% across the board. Um, and so the, 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 that's a huge thing. That should impact us. You know, the, it brings me to this concept of sanctification, right? So that's a kind of a, it's a, Preachy sounding word. Uh, Vodi Balkum is one of the one of the, was actually lives in Africa now, but he um, lived a, was over in Houston, and he has three adopted children. So I was listening to some sermons and kind of preparation for that for this for this morning, and he described um, the order salutis, which is like the sequence of events, um, and and so the the sequence of events being justification. Um, you know, our adoption in Christ and then sanctification um, and then um, glorification um, at the end. And so this process of sanctification, that's where the majority of us are, right? So what does that mean? Um, 
Sanctification does not mean does not mean that as we get older and as we get closer and closer to Christ, we learn how to follow the rules better. Okay, that that's the way I interpreted it. You know, I'm going to be a the older I get, the more I'm going to be like Jerry Planchock. You know, I mean that that's that's a that's a fine thought, but I mean it, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that. What it means is that. The more I encounter Christ, the closer my relationship with, is with Christ, the more I can look at Him and call Christ Abba, Father, the, the more that's going to mold and shape my heart and affect my actions. You know, it's going to make me do crazy stuff. You know, it's going to make me buy a 12-passenger van. You know, I mean, that's crazy. Who buys a 12... Leon, who buys a 12-passenger van? That's weird, you know. I mean, that, that's that's so counterculture, you know. Why would you do that? Um, but that's what that's what the Bible describes for us. If you're really in God's will, then we're we should be strangers in this world. Um, I'm I'm convicted by that often because we're comfortable, you know, and um, and and we don't. If we're that comfortable, are we really following all? Are we really following all that God wants us to follow and really? Is he really enough of a part of us as he should be? Because we should feel like strangers. We should feel like, what are we doing here? Um, and so I, I, I was convicted by that. So the you know now that we've kind of gone through and established the idea that God's adopted us, he's adopted us through Christ, and the reality of that, we kind of ponder that. Um, the next question that we should ask is, okay, so now what? What do I do? Um, if you're ever wondering, what do I do? Uh, a good place to go is the book of James. You know, James is good about telling you what you should do. Um, and he's, he's very clear. Um, again, I'm, we're not going to get into all the contextual portion of it. But at the end of chapter 1 in verse 27, he's very, very clear. Okay, It's, it's hard to misinterpret that. It's, it says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress. Okay, I mean, that, 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 that's very, very clear. It's hard to misinterpret that. Um, and so, really, we should, we should look at this order salutis and say, okay, how can I imitate Christ? Okay, I can't justify anybody. I'm not perfect. Um, I can't really, I mean, maybe I can participate in people's sanctification process, but I'm not in charge of that. And I certainly can't glorify anybody, but I can adopt. You know, I, I can adopt. And if I really recognize what Christ did in his adoption of me, then that should be a logical outflow of our heart. You know, if he did that for us, then we should do that for someone else. I mean, you can go back to the Ten Commandments. The first five are vertical, give us instruction. The second five teach us how to act with the people around us. You know, this is not any different. Um, so... Where we are right now in Northwest Louisiana in, in 2016, what opportunities are there? And there's going to, I'm going to give you all some statistics. And they come from, uh, we had a meeting with our social worker um, uh, to finalize the adoption. So these statistics are from um, uh, the Baptist Children's Home, which is the oldest, um, used to be Sellers Children's Home in New Orleans. Um, and it, it's the oldest children's home in Louisiana. But these, these statistics come from them. Um, the first statistic, which is it just, I don't, even know how to, I don't even know how to say it, is in 2015 in the United States, um, there were 954,000 abortions. Um, that's almost a million. Uh, and it's actually down from 2014 where there were 983 um, so that, you know, I, I think there's a lot of that should give us pause and make us look around. Um, and, and an easy thing to say is, OK, yeah, that's why I'm going to vote for uh, Hillary Clinton or that's why I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. They're, they're going to fix this. We want to be respectful of whoever is in office. You know, Rome's is clear on that. If you need, if you struggle with that, it's in, I think it's chapter 13. Um, but they're not going to fix that. I mean, the, the, those, that's a representation of young women who don't have hope. 
You know, that's what the world teaches us. Man, look, cut your losses, move on. Um, that, but that's not what, that's not the love we're receiving from Christ. I mean, we're, when we mess up, God doesn't say, man, cut your losses with the Googes. You guys are out, you know, and we, I assure you, we mess up multiple times every day. So the, the, what we really should say is not, yeah, abortion's wrong. What we really should be able to say as believers is, wow, don't give that child up for abortion. I'll take him. And now, whoa, now all of a sudden it's like the, the sermon got funny and now it's not funny anymore. You're like, whoa, man, I can't do that. You know, we might, might have issues. Might, I may not love them the same as I love my own. I can have kids. Adoption just a substitute for people who can't have children. No, it's not. That's not what the Bible teaches us. I mean, if we, if we created that in our mind, then are we created the concept that you can't adopt a child because he's a, I don't know, because he's a different color or because he's a different, because his eyes are shaped different or because he has heart defects, that, that we created that. That's not what the, that's not biblical. Um, moving on, you know, same, same thing, kind of tightening down here, not just the United States in the, in the uh, state of Louisiana. There are 4,500 kids in the foster system. Um, and there's only 2,200 foster homes. So that's, uh, obviously, that's a mismatch. I mean, that's 2,300 kids that don't have a spot. Or, you know, or or they're calling you when you already have one kid and saying, can you take two, can you take three, how many can you take? Um, So there's an opportunity there. Um, And then the last last statistic is there's about almost exactly 100 kids there's almost exactly 100 kids in the state of Louisiana who have no identifiable parent or family member. So either they have parents that have been uh, deemed not, suit, not suited to raise a child or they don't have any identifiable family. I mean, essentially, there's 100 orphan annies uh, in our midst. You know, and that's, that's, um, that's pretty humbling when you go to church on this part of town because resources, for most of us, not a problem. So, so you know, what... How do we participate? You know, that's the... When you're riding home, and this is what Jennifer does to me all the time, is, what did you think of the sermon? You know, and of course, I always say it was great. It's great. I loved it. But really what I'm thinking about is, I'm starving to death. And what are we going to eat? And can will Jimmy go hit with me this afternoon? Those are really the things in my mind. But the the things that when you say, well, we're we're not called to adopt, my question would be, are you sure? You know, have you really prayed about it? Have you really asked God, are you called to adopt? Um, because if, if, you're not, not, if you're not called to adopt, then certainly um, you're called to be supportive of the process. Uh, go back to James one twenty seven. I mean, you could read that verse a lot of different ways, a lot of different versions of the Bible. It's really hard to miss. It's hard to interpret any other way. Um, we're all called to be involved in the process. Um, I want to leave you all with uh, one story uh, so that you won't think you, no one will have built me or my family up on some pedestal. About two months ago now, um, the, the adoption agency called Jennifer and they said Miles' birth mother was pregnant. Um, and, uh, and so I didn't know it at the time, but she said, look, you know, look, there's something I want to talk to you about um, at dinner and let's wait till we put the kids to bed and then we'll... We'll, we'll talk about it. So, um, you know, we put everybody to bed, and she, she tells me that, and I, you know, and I responded. I said, well, look, you know, we, we need to seek God's will, and, you know, we need to, you know, look at His Word and see what it tells us, you know, what we're feeling. And, and if you believe me, you're crazy. That's not what I said. I said, are you crazy? We don't run a children's home. You know, you, you, that, that, there's no way. We can't. We have five. That, that's nuts. Um, and, and so, you know, I even use the analogy of the puppy. You know, if you have a puppy that doesn't have anybody to play with, you don't get another puppy. You take him to somebody else's house and let him play with their puppy. Uh, so, the, so the, the, you know, it's a challenge. It's a challenge every day. Um, uh, but, but I also want to let you guys know, and, and hopefully you all can see it in our life, Miles is a blessing, man. He is an absolute pleasure. He is the best kid. Um, and I am just as proud of him as any of the rest of my kids. And so don't, 
Don't view this topic as like some toil that you've got to wrestle through and it's going to be awful and you, and you you know you just have to do it because you're a Christian you have to you know view it as an opportunity um and you know and it, it's it, it'll be a blessing you know I, I'm always I see Olympia's sitting in front of me Olympia always has a baby and that is not her baby and so she's always helping out and always involved in other people's lives. And it's a blessing, you know, and it, whether or it, it can be uh, high school kids, you know, it, when you're involved in their life, that's huge. It's a blessing. Um, it's a blessing when you have a place to stay. Uh, but it's a blessing when they're in your house. You know, it, it, it's just such a blessing. This is a, this is a rewarding walk um, because God's in it. It's biblical. Um, and so be encouraged. Um, so anyway, that's, that's my spiel on Romans eight, um, and the process of adoption. Uh, let me close this in prayer. Dear God, um, I thank you for, first of all, I just thank you for miles. Um, and I thank you for, um, his birth mother and the courage that it took, um, to not listen to all the people around her who told her to, you know, get rid of him, cut her losses, and move on. Um, thank you for the courage that she had to do that, that and help us teach him to know that he put her up for adoption, not because, or she put him up for adoption, not because she didn't love him, but because she did. Um, help us understand that biblical truth. Help us understand that um, God adopted us through the death burial and resurrection of his son Jesus and let that impact us let that impact everything we do let that impact what we think in the morning let that impact what we think in the middle of the day let that impact what we think at night but don't just make us a people that meditate on stuff like that let us heed James's counsel and, and let us act on it let us be involved in the process because ultimately, it's a blessing. Let me, let my family um, be, a, be a light. Let us, let us show that it's a blessing to be involved in your word and involved in your process. Miles is a gift. He's not a burden. Um, and, we're, and, and Christ is our gift. Um, and we're not a burden to God because when he looks at us, he sees Christ. Um, thank you for that. Thank you for your son, Jesus. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.